0: Well, welcome to the Courage Two podcast. It's been a while since I've released anything. We, uh, <laughs> when I think back to the beginning of this podcast, it was supposed to be eight episodes during COVID just to keep me entertained and talking to really fun people, and now it's turned into a bigger thing. But kind of haven't released a ton this past year. But every once in a while, I come across um, an interesting conversation, and then I'm like, ah, oh, I need to just record it and then share that cool conversation with other cool people. So. Even though it's been months since I've released my last one, we are here again um, to have another conversation. So as a listener, I just want to welcome you back to this podcast. Each episode um, is really just a chance and a privilege that I have to have a conversation with someone who exemplifies living a life of courage. And my hope is that through hearing these stories, you as the listener will be encouraged. And to be encouraged literally means to give heart or strength or courage. So as we dive into this episode, I hope that by the end you'll have received strength and heart to continue on in your journey of living a life of courage. So today I am chatting with John Sherman, and he'll give him a little introduction of who he is. Um, But we're going to talk all about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the city that you live in. So John, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Maddie.
0: Great to have you here. So for those listening who don't know who you are, can you just give a little rundown, some fun facts about who John Sherman is?
1: Sure. Yeah, I am uh, John Sherman. I grew up in Hamilton, uh, the oldest of four siblings, uh, all of whom are still in Hamilton. I'm now married to my wife, Alyssa, as of we, we just celebrated our fifth anniversary, so a little over five years ago. Uh, we live in uh, an apartment building in downtown Hamilton. Uh so I've basically lived in Hamilton my whole life. Um, I work for a group called Flourish, which is part of Indwell, uh, so building affordable housing communities uh, for, uh, uh, for, well, now now over a thousand tenants in, Ham- in, in Ontario. Um, yeah, and other than that, um, I never really know what to answer when people ask me about my hobbies, but um, my interests include things like politics and cycling and hockey and urban planning and community development.
0: Nice, nice. And how long have you worked for Flourish for?
1: It's been. Uh, uh, there were some student placements in there over the years, uh, but but more consistently, it's somewhere between three and four years. If you, uh, yeah, if you go back to sort of when it became a more full ish mm-hmm. time thing.
0: Is that what you envisioned doing? Like when you went St- into, like to envision doing like affordable housing work.
1: Is is that what I envisioned yeah. before I started, or what I. Been yeah. doing long term. I uh, I I was never someone with a five year plan or anything. I rarely sort you of you and me both. Yeah, I would rarely knew where I would be. You know, next year uh, throughout most of my twenties, uh, and sort of went with uh, uh, a kind of approach to just sort of we see see where God opens and closes doors, and, and just follow the doors that are open. And uh, uh, yeah, so through through much sort of. Prayer and surrender and keeping an eye open for open doors uh, ended up at Flourish, but but that was not a surprise to me when it happens. I, I had had uh, uh, many experiences and sort of interests and passions that led me to admire the work that Indwell was doing. For uh, as soon as I got introduced to Indwell, uh, so it wasn't a surprise. I, I always thought like that th- their vision overlaps with my sense of sort of vision and calling in life a lot and. Uh, they're, uh, they're a great group of people. I'd love to mm-hmm. be with them someday, but we'll see what uh, God has in store. and uh, for a while there were other things in store and, and for the last little while, it's been Indwell mm-hmm. that God has in store and I've enjoyed it a lot.
0: Can you go into like the vision of Indwell and the vision that you have for life and how that intersected? Like what mm-hmm. is because I don't know if everybody has like a vision of where they want to go in life yeah and not like a specific vision like like in two years i want to be here and in three years i want to be here but like a a bigger vision what like what does that look like for you
1: for sure that's a good question yeah so for people who don't know indwell indwell would say its vision is hope and homes for all it's a christian charity whose mission is to create affordable housing communities for people seeking health wellness and belonging um uh, we just a couple weeks ago opened our second building in london where you probably have a bunch of people uh, tuning Mm -hmm. in from and we've we were well established in Hamilton, where where we're talking today, uh, as well as a number of other cities in Ontario. Um, <clears throat> I guess my personal sort of sense of vision in all of this, if if I were to make it a bit of a, a story of milestones along my own journey, I remember actually being on a, a church mission trip when I was uh, between grade 10 and 11 in the summer. We did a week long trip to downtown London, Ontario, from hmm. the church I grew up on in nice. Hamilton. And uh, I was hosted by uh, Sanctuary, uh, in part the Sanctuary Ministries there in London. And they uh, helped introduce us to uh, their community uh, in a number of ways. And part of what that meant for me as a 15-year-old or whatever was uh, meeting someone who was homeless for the first time in my life and getting a tour of downtown London led by someone who had experienced homelessness in London. So getting to hear... Uh, about what that community is like from the perspective of a, uh, a person who'd experienced homelessness recently at that point um, which was something i it was a perspective i'd never heard in any city even my own that i was growing up in so that was very eye-opening and it, it really sort of burdened my heart especially hearing stories of uh, uh, this particular person's experience when they were homeless of uh, being uh, not just marginalized in the way of like forgotten and neglected, but uh, in terms of active, we don't want you here, get out of here. Well, where am I supposed to go? Figure it out. I go somewhere else and I'm told to leave there. That sort of, uh, yeah, injustice of, of actively marginalizing people in a community that way really sort of burdened my heart. And especially in the ways it happened in an organized way where police were, uh, you know, offering. Uh, enforcement to move out of this place, to move out of that place uh, without any help, uh, just sort of uh, was something that, that that I think was, uh, I think God used that to impress it on my heart uh, coming back to Hamilton where, where I live. and uh, And then another milestone I think of when I was in grade 12, I sort of had that moment where we're all, or many of us, find ourselves in grade 12 thinking what's going to happen next year and, and internalizing this, uh, this I didn't realize it at the time. This a lie that if you don't know what you're going to do for the rest of your life in grade 12, like if you ever want to have a hope of retiring, you need to have a good job. And if you're going to have that good job, you need to know, you know, go to the right school with the right program and you need to figure that out now because applications are due in January. I want to crush
0: that <laughs> mindset so bad.
1: <laughs> so I was like, dang, I actually don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, and I, I remember, Uh, just praying one time because I'd heard stories of uh, people who had you know heard from God and and leaning into that wasn't something that was uh, uh, sort of a normal part of my community but I'd heard stories of people who had sort of had that experience and I didn't know what it was like Uh, I didn't know what it meant I I think I was just hoping I'd hear some audible voice read me the book of my life so I could just stick to the script Um, (laughs) but what I got at that point was oh shoot that's probably gonna get picked up on the microphone let me
0: that's okay. I don't know if
1: you can probably edit that out, I guess.
0: Um, a fun little interruption. You have a flip phone. I do. That's amazing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe I should just leave this part in. You, <laughs> you have a flip phone. That's weird.
1: Yes. Yeah. I've never had a smartphone actually. Um, wow.
0: Yeah. I just listened to a podcast today, uh, all about how technology is like discipling us and fascinating it's heavy stuff to think about yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i have to think about it in pieces but anyway uh i I
1: think we got cut off at the climax of my story (laughs) so what what i heard in prayer at this point was just it wasn't even hearing but seeing this picture of downtown hamilton uh and and in a in a way that i knew that was god saying you're called to downtown hamilton uh in the context of sort of uh, the, the years previous, I, I think that especially meant for me, uh, you know, people in poverty in Hamilton, um, and people who are homeless. So, uh, you know, building off the experiences in London. So, uh, that was it. Uh, uh it wasn't, uh, I mean, it wasn't a whole book being read to me or anything, but it was enough for that moment. Um, that's, uh, you know, not an unusual thing for God to do, just give you enough for the moment. And so I uh, stayed in Hamilton and leaned into opportunities to volunteer, uh, in the, uh, in, in context of poverty in the city, and um, yeah, got to uh, meet and uh, re-meet, and eventually become friends with people who were homeless in Hamilton, uh, and uh, while I was a Redeemer student, I uh, got introduced to Indwell, and some of their tenants, and the people who live at Indwell, and uh, I think the, that was another milestone moment where I realized uh, in, in my first encounter with Indwell that, that people who lived in Indwell's housing had the same stories and the same backgrounds as all the people I'd become friends with who were homeless. They just weren't homeless anymore because mm. of what Indwell was doing. And that was really inspiring to me, especially because at that point already, Indwell had a big vision for growth to say, we, we know our community needs more of what we do here. Um, and and I, I knew that too, because I'd become friends with people who were you know, desperate for a new, good, affordable housing from a Christian charity who didn't just want to give them a roof over the head, but also provide supports and uh, and care about people in a community development perspective way. So, uh, uh, yeah, having that sort of personal experience of feeling called to uh, love and, and seek justice for people who are homeless uh, was something that I, I think internalized as a as a call in vision for my own life, which could have looked like lots of different things, or didn't necessarily have to look like anything in particular. But when I met Indwell, doing what they do with that same vision, uh, I think that's what I hmm. that's what comes to mind.
0: Hmm. I love how there's like these these little moments where God just like impresses things on our hearts and just like drops little bread com- crumbs, but they're significant breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really easy to forget about those moments in like the day to day. So the fact that you like held on and kept being curious about like where where could this go? Because I've known a number of people who have done, you know, trips like you did in London. And it's like, oh, yeah, inspired and, you know, want to do this. And then everything in life gets distracting. And then there's a different vision that kind of comes. So the fact that it was like pressed on you and you kept leaning into it is um, really cool.
1: Mm -hmm. And I owe a lot of that to people who sort of went before me, like Mm. I I was especially blessed in those uh, sort of university years of mine to meet lots of other people who sort of also shared that vision in my community Mm. and were sort of going ahead of me, 10 or 20 years older than me, who uh, were demonstrating all sorts of different ways that living into a vision like that can look like, uh, which, yeah, obviously changes a lot when you feel like you don't have to start from scratch and figure everything out on your own. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I could go down a rabbit hole with that one, but we won't. <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, you and I took a really long drive around Hamilton because I, as a newbie in Hamilton, I guess I'm, I'm almost a year of living here. Uh, there there are pieces of the city that I've gotten to know. Um, this The one area that I live in is the one that I'm most familiar with, but even then I don't really know what's behind the scenes. And so I literally just was like, John, tell me all the things about Hamilton and what, not just the, the physical infrastructure, but what is, pull back the curtain and tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a, every person that I said, I was like, hey, John took me on a drive around the city. Everyone was like, John was the best person to, to <laughs> tell you all about all of the things. So you've clearly taken time to get to know Hamilton in a really deep way. Why do you think knowing the city that you live in is important?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it is, uh, there are some probably sort of universal answers to that, but also it, it can be different for different people. Um, like I do think I, I, like I have neighbors who, for whom knowing the city is necessary for survival. If you're someone in poverty, uh, you you better know where you can go to get food when your check runs out halfway through the month. And, uh, you know, where the shelters are for when your, uh, you know, people in your community need a shelter and. And where the places are to avoid that are, you know, you should avoid, or where you can, um, yeah, all all sorts of dynamics in the city become important for your survival when you can't, uh, you know, uh, when you're not in a position to independently meet all your own needs. Um, and on the other side, there are people who know their city because uh, they stand to like make a lot of money off of knowing it well. If you're like a real estate agent mm-hmm. or a real estate developer, knowing the city uh is important for them to uh you know whatever maximize their business but most of us are probably somewhere sort of in between there where uh we uh yeah don't we we have the privilege of not needing to know our city um and not really an opportunity to make lots of money by getting to know our city so why is it important for uh like the rest of us um uh i mean i think especially as uh uh, Christians, a few things come to mind, and uh, uh, I, th- I think I th- maybe a story in my own life that helps illustrate this was uh, when when I started to get to know my city. I sort of, you know, I I live in and I know well the city I grew up in, but I didn't always know it well when I was growing up. Uh, my world was pretty pretty small, didn't know much about the rest of my city, um, uh, to the point that uh when I was around 20, I was getting really inspired by some people who I had met in Hamilton who were part of a ministry called Move-In, and I, I started asking them about what move in is like and getting involved in that ministry is like, and they mentioned, uh, you know, as part of their vision to help Christians uh, uh, with, you know, incarnational ministry moving in among the unreached urban poor, there was a, a neighborhood uh, in Hamilton called Rolston where they were hoping to, uh, uh, yeah, have, have ministry People doing ministry there, and uh, they said it was on the mountain. Uh, I grew up on the mountain. I thought that's ridiculous. I grew up on the mountain, not around. For people
0: not living in Hamilton,
1: <laughs> we, we call it the mountain. We call it the mountain. Every the Niagara Escarpment runs from Niagara to Tobermory, which is a very long distance. And Hamilton is the only part of the escarpment community that calls it a mountain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Coming from London, it feels like a mountain, but anybody else knows it's right. just a bump.
1: Yeah. Uh, at that moment I thought that's weird like you know poverty in context of urban ministry among the poor happen in downtown Hamilton because that's where the poverty is uh, I was curious enough though that I went home uh, looked up where the Rolston neighborhood is on the mountain if there's a neighborhood of poverty on the mountain uh, and found out uh, that it was the neighborhood I grew up in and was living in and that there was a 50% child poverty rate in my own neighborhood um, So that was a big surprise to me. That was sort of an early part of my own getting to know my city. And so, you know, why is it important? I I think back to like sort of a before and after sort of that beginning of the learning process and after the learning process, like, uh, you know, we all, when we're reading about Jesus and uh, trying to think, how do I apply this in my own life? Might come across, you know, love your neighbor or uh, instances where Jesus says, you you know, uh, seek the, or in the old testament seek the good of the city or or jesus uh, different stories to love the poor um, if i don't know my city and i'm growing up in the Rolston neighborhood that's a pretty theoretical question what does it mean to love my neighbor and love the poor and uh, you know if i don't know the poor and i don't know my neighborhood it's, it's sort of a i don't know where you go with that i, I didn't really i i didn't know where to go with those sort of things but then when I find out that my neighbors in my neighborhood had a 50% child poverty rate, it changes everything when you read love your neighbor and love the poor and seek the good of your city. Um, in terms of how do you apply those instructions, If it, it changes everything if, if you know those sort of things about your neighborhood. So that's, uh, yeah, sort of a story to illustrate uh, where, where I began to realize the impact of knowing your city in my own life.
0: Hmm. So one of the things that I noticed when we were driving around, so you obviously got to know that neighborhood that you grew up in and realized, like you started to realize these things, right? But then you started taking me around to all over into all these other pockets and telling me stories, not just pointing out different things, but telling me stories of different people and different like really cool things going on of like how God is working through people, but also really hard moments and really challenging things to think through, um, but it, it it came through very clearly for me that everything is it's personal. It's not this theoretical kind of thing. Um, but I think of like anybody who's listening who has never really taken a chance to get to another city. It can be very daunting to think about. Okay, I want to know my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Da, what do I do? Like you can look at a census and get a sense of here are the stats, but stats Mm -hmm. can tell you only so much of the story. It's only when it becomes personal that it actually starts to change you personally. Um, So how do you start and why is making it personal with people like important? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think it all, like the people are the foundation for it. Like all the commands about in, in the Bible or Jesus example of, of, ministry, they're all people-centered. So I think that's sort of where it starts for me. If I feel called to love those who are poor in Hamilton or just love my neighbors, like those are people. And in seeking like their flourishing or shalom or pursuing these visions God has for his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Um, if, I, if I seek that for you or for my neighbor, um, it, it does become pretty obvious pretty quickly that people can't experience shalom and flourishing on their own. That mm-hmm. that's a community thing that we are uh, that that it takes a community of flourishing for anyone in that community to flourish, or mm-hmm. a, it takes a community of shalom for anyone in that community to experience shalom. So I think uh, that that also was sort of a realize or, or, or uh, you know, a part of my own story. I remember, uh, uh, yeah, being in uh, undergrad and reading the newspaper every day because I was a bit of a politics nerd and. Uh, it, at first I would uh, sort of open the newspaper and like skip over all the boring local news to the like interesting political stuff about Obama and Harper at the time and uh, around that same time in my life I was starting to get to know people in downtown Hamilton and uh, people who are homeless and hear their stories and, and and their stories are very local stories as yeah people in, in poverty and in, in different neighborhoods in Hamilton and uh before long, when I would go to grab the newspaper, uh, something in the local news section would catch my eye about something that's changing with a place that I'd heard of before because my neighbors who were homeless who I'd become friends with and who I cared about cared about that place or they go there every week for the special thing or or they go there every day for a meal and uh, I started to re- um, I, st- I started to read the local news every day and skip over mm-hmm. the rest of <laughs> it <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, realizing that, yeah. In, in the local news was uh, important uh, stories that impact people I care about hmm. um, and so in my care for people it sort of extended uh, in in me a, an interest in the city and in knowing uh, different parts of the city because uh, I'd, I'd heard about how yeah all, all these different dynamics in the city impact the shalom and flourishing of people mm-hmm. I cared
0: about. Hmm it's such a different like countercultural way of thinking in terms of like flourishing comes in community it's not like i need to just go retreat into my little suburban neighborhood to then find my own personal flourishing it's actually the more that we engage with others in and together can we find flourishing for sure together it's not an individual effort it's we all interplay with each other mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i also find too in if you can know just one person, it can change the game. Like if you know like one person who is living on the streets that like changes how you how you see things for sure. Yeah. When yeah. I when I worked in um, a neighborhood in London, I, I, people would always have these ideas about this one neighborhood, and they would always be like. Are you safe working there? And I just, (laughs) I hated it so much because I'm like, just walk in there and get to know one person and like make it personal and get to know them. And all of a sudden, your understanding of this place just is going to change because you hear this is the reality of life for them. But you hear like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you see the beauty of it. And yeah, it's just different when you, when you know one person, Mm -hmm. it changes everything.
1: Mm Yeah.
0: Um, So, There's something about the personal piece, but there's also something about how like neighborhoods are set up that actually impacts things as well. So again, when we were driving around, he would point out like there's rows of apartment buildings and there's no like things within walking distance of it or, you know, like how a place is set up can contribute to the flourishing of people or it can also hinder it. So Mm -hmm. what kind of questions do you consider when you go into a neighborhood to be like what like how how is the infrastructure of this place contributing to the well-being of this community
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah you uh uh, we we were talking about this a few weeks ago in the context of a a course you took on exegeting uh, that that used the word exegesis which is Mm -hmm. like a, a theological word around how you like make sense of the bible um and and the stories of of the bible and uh, and people have started to use that same word for neighborhoods, which is I think helpful and because it is actually a really similar process it's the same sort of series uh, of, of Questions one friend of mine. I don't know where he got this But it's it stuck with me uh, sort of summarizes the, the series of questions The same whether you're yeah in scripture or in a neighborhood as what so what and now what? Um, hmm. so like what? Uh, What is the content like what what does the Bible say like you actually have to read it before you can figure out what it means and like you actually have to See a neighborhood before you can figure out what's going on and and what what it means Um, And and pay attention, you know Not just like read it in terms in a checklist way But like pay attention to what what the words are doing and what the context is and and same in a neighborhood and so what like why why is that important uh, in Scripture? Why does it matter that Jesus went to a, a temple in this place at this point in human history or uh, why does it matter that uh, whatever one of Jesus disciples was a, a zealot in a context of this uh, you know political context uh, sort of digging with those what does that mean questions and and similar in a neighborhood like what does it mean that uh, yeah I can walk past several high-rises or, or uh, walk for 10 minutes without seeing anything but homes or I can uh, you know I can't bike in this neighborhood without feeling safe or uh, it's whatever, uh, you know, what does that mean? What does that say about, uh, um, yeah, this neighborhood's history or what it's like to live here or how the shape of this neighborhood shapes the people who live in it. Um, and, and from there we can ask questions like now, what, when you're reading scripture, like what is, what, how do I apply this in my own life? And, uh, and in a neighborhood ideally, like those things are going hand in hand, like it well, scripture says this and the na- and that means this and the neighborhood looks like this, which means this. So, uh, You know, kind of in the the story I was talking about earlier, too, in, like, the neighborhood I grew up in, like, oh, the Bible says this about loving your neighbor and the poor, and my neighborhood is one of poverty, and and that, that, uh, you know, is focused in this building and that building and this service uh, provider or the the next street over around the corner. Um, What is God calling me to do? Um, Sort of brings all those together. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. a story of, uh, friends I know who are putting this into action a few blocks away from here, moved, uh, uh not that long ago into a high rise building and, and yeah, starting to pay attention and figuring out what God might be, uh, leading them into. They realized just, yeah, again, through stories, starts with relationships, meeting their neighbors and checking in on, you know, how was your day today? And, uh, paying attention to the stories of some people in their neighborhood who uh you know maybe had a family with six kids and the uh, they pick up on how the kids go to school and lie to their teachers about having eaten breakfast because they know if they don't cas might get involved and realizing the interconnectedness of food insecurity in the neighborhood and uh, like the flourishing of families hmm. and paying attention to oh where does this family get food or why can't they get food and the uh, sort of income part of it, but also there is no grocery store within walking distance and the only food you can get is expensive and unhealthy and, um, yeah, sort of an application of what they also read in scripture then about, uh, yeah, loving their neighbors, seeking the good of their neighbors and and, and justice for people who, uh, yeah, don't have enough for their families. In, in their story, actually, particularly inspired by Old Testament stories of jubilee and redistribution so that, uh you know, the whole whole community has their needs met, I guess, similar to ACTS too, uh, that they're like, we have more than we need, actually, and our neighbors have needs. So they, they sort of worked with their networks to get a bunch of groceries. Uh, and uh, every Sunday, they set it up on a table outside said their apartment building, and and tell their neighbors, it's pay what you can. And mm-hmm. some of their neighbors uh, pay extra, and, and many of them pay less, and some of them just, uh, you know, aren't in a position to pay at all. And Uh, They have sort of used their resources as people with more than they need to uh, Mm -hmm. respond to uh, an opportunity to help their neighbors you know, as families achieve flourishing by having the food security that's part of that. Um, Yeah, through that Mm -hmm. sort of process of paying attention and figuring out what it means and understanding what God calls, is calling them in response to
0: that. I got to go to their market one Sunday and I just hung out with them and it was so fun because some of the... Excuse me, the residents in the apartment would spend like the entire time out in the like, it was so hot that one Sunday, <laughs> spent the whole afternoon with us. And one of them just like took charge of the whole market. <laughs> it's just like inviting people over and telling them to pay what they can and just like owned it. And I just love that she felt like this was a place that she could use her gifts of sales I guess mm-hmm. and marketing and just be there and serve her community while also receiving the beauty of the market herself mm-hmm. there's something really profound about that for me so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then also yeah as you said just paying paying attention to what's going on it doesn't need to be this like big ginormous thing it's like no there's this one need here in our community and how do we mm-hmm. how do we meet it in a simple way it's beautiful mm-hmm. um so one of the things I'm going to jump to this idea of like redemption and one, one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is how it feels like it takes more faith to sit in long term, long time stories of redemption rather than these quick fixes. Cause there's, there's a couple of scenarios in my life where I, I have all the faith in the world that God can do a miracle, like all of it. And just like God do it right now, instantaneous miracle. Mm -hmm. But he has chosen not to. And it feels like it takes extra faith to live through the long game of redemption. Mm -hmm. And even throughout scripture, like the entirety of scripture is God reweaving the redemptive story and bringing shalom. And it's messy and complicated. And, you Mm -hmm. know, God could snap his fingers and make everything great again. But he's chosen to, like, form us and shape us and walk with us in the long term. Mm -hmm. And that feels hard. Mm -hmm. um but there are stories in our city where you were unpacking moments of like years ago this was a particular neighborhood where it just was so broken but then over time redemption came and now it's something beautiful can you Mm -hmm. give us some of those stories of redemption in hamilton
1: Mm -hmm. yeah uh one that comes to mind right away played out on ottawa street in hamilton over the course of the last few years um there was a Abandoned and very rundown uh, building on on a corner there, where uh, yeah people had been uh, either you know uh, renting from a slumlord in squalor with no heat and whatever, or or just squatting and trying to find somewhere without much security where they can uh, have a roof over their head, and uh, y- you know the, the building was was a, a falling apart actually literally. Um, Uh, There there came uh, a federal government affordable housing program uh, that Indwell realized we could use to buy the building and turn it into a a brand new building and keep the rents the same keep them affordable Um, and uh, Number of legal issues got in the way and slowed down that uh, Dream and eventually uh, I think it was like on a Wednesday killed that dream Um, But We'd already started, I guess word had gotten out, I, I think that we, uh, we, we had received funding to, that Indwell had received funding to, to turn this building into beautiful affordable housing. So without knowing what had happened uh, on, on Wednesday, that sort of killed the whole project for Indwell. Uh, uh, a group of people from the local church who are also affiliated with the Greater Ontario House of Prayer in Hamilton, just sort of devoted to uh, monastic rhythms of life in an urban context. Uh, you know, New Indwell was uh, uh, involved in the building, so they they went for a prayer walk around the building and uh, uh, prayed. They, they walked around it seven times, Jericho style, and prayed <laughs> for uh, nice. for Indwell's uh, work with the building. Uh, and uh, and the next day, uh, we got word that uh, even though we couldn't use that federal funding to redevelop that building uh, because of these other legal issues with the previous owner um uh the issues had been resolved and uh indwell could buy the building and even though we couldn't access the funding we would have used to do it uh, new funding and actually even more funding than before was made available through a different government mm-hmm. uh and so we went from uh you know laying it in the tomb on wednesday to resurrecting it on friday and, <laughs> and full steam ahead and uh that was that was a couple of years ago and a couple of weeks ago. Uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, the building is full of uh, wow. people who were previously homeless, uh, and the apartments are are beautiful. It's one of the most energy efficient buildings in Ontario now. It's.
0: Um, is that the one that got the award? Is that another one? D- different one.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so like long story of redemption. I I think back to you know those three people from the local church who were praying for it, and I don't think when they were praying for it, I wouldn't have anyway, that they were praying for for God to do something and expecting that the next day they would wake up and this miracle of healing would have happened, <laughs> where where the building that was falling down would have been, uh, you know, made new again the next day. I, the, the instantaneous healing that God probably could do, uh, you know, wasn't even something we were thinking about, but we. We knew that uh, you know if we prayed, God could do years-long miracles or, or, mm-hmm. or, or do a miracle that would that would put a, a years-long process into place. And now that that process has culminated, and it's mm-hmm. beautiful, um, yeah. Um, and then we've also had stories in our own neighborhood of uh, uh, friendship with a woman who, for example, uh, came fled fled to Canada from violence in in Gaza, and with with her three-year-old son. Uh, knowing that if she was able to get here with him she had a good chance of being able to uh, get the rest of her family here to reunite with her her husband and her other two daughters. Uh, she didn't realize how long it would take. Uh, she thought it could happen quickly and so years later uh, she hadn't seen her daughters uh, since she left uh, and uh, violence in Gaza started picking up again and bombs were going off on the street they lived on and she would have these Skype calls with her daughters and they would be catching their mom up on the day, and then just start screaming because a bomb went off, and it was obviously extremely traumatizing. And and we realized the kids needed to get out there, and uh, so we you know sort of journeyed with her through that process and prayed with her and and for her and her family, and um, you know went to a member of parliament's office with her to to you know ask for their family reunification to be sped up because they were in a particularly dangerous context of violence and. That whole process probably did take six months, but eventually they did get, uh, the family was able to flee Gaza for another country uh, to be safe in the meantime, and God answered prayers so that they weren't kicked out of that country when their visa ran out and Canada still hadn't granted them access to come to Canada, but eventually Canada did say yes, and they were reunited and we got to be there, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and another sort of longer process where, uh, yeah, it, it was... Uh, yeah, sort of a beautiful witness of uh, yeah, God answering prayers uh, in a sort of extended time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Prayer seems to be a key ingredient in that,
1: for That's sure. For sure.
0: Um, okay, tell us a story about one one situation that is still being mm. prayed over in our city, and that the hope of redemption will will come. Hopefully soon, but one just yeah. does not know.
1: Probably a lot. Um, sort of the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that is sort of the uh, environmental restoration of of that which has been broken in Hamilton, just like in the last week. Uh, more news came out about millions of liters of sewage, hundreds of millions of liters of sewage being dumped into Hamilton Harbor, like oh. a year and a half after, I think it was twenty. 4 billion liters of sewage were dumped into Coot's Paradise. So there's like billions and billions of liters of crap in the water, and that's obviously, you know, that has a, everything's connected, where that affects the fish and the birds, and and the trees and us, and that's, that's something that I also would love for God to answer prayer and just heal overnight. Probably won't happen, but, uh, uh i guess it might happen but but I, i'm sure god wants it to be healed and can heal it and it, it will be healed one day and uh praying for for that to happen and for no more sewage to end up in the river is uh something that comes to mind among yeah lots of I, other yeah situations. i think that's a
0: good point too about how like redemption is like relational and with people but it also like there's the between people kind of relational redemption, like us between God redemption, and then also the creation for sure side so like that that is interwoven in all of it, which isn't always my first thought, but I have been around enough people in Hamilton now that are keep reminding me that like right creation and how yes. how the environment, if it's healthy, it also impacts the the health of our city.
1: Yeah, yeah, it. Uh... It is hopeful to think that, like, oh, that's the kind of stuff God cares about too. Like, not play on words, not just the the sewage in our own hearts or the crap in, our, in ourselves, <laughs> nice. but also the sewage in the creek. Like, God yeah. cares about that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it it, it I, I often cling to uh, like Revelation twenty one. Jesus says, "I am making all things new." Like, mm-hmm. not just our 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 souls or our bodies, but He's making all things new. Like, including the trees and the lakes and mm-hmm. and the, the, the cosmic scope of redemption is like awesome yes yeah. that's really good news it is yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
0: can you tell the story of um that one place where it used to be the the soil is all contaminated and they're rebuilding but kicked everyone out right that spot
1: there's a story where uh we're waiting for uh redemption so yeah in the north end of hamilton a neighborhood that's long been known as Jamesville was something like 60, 70 years ago a factory uh, that sort of during this time where industry was declining got torn down and replaced with social housing. Uh, so the city built uh, 91 townhouses there for, for families who needed affordable housing uh, which is great but it was at a time in history in the 60s when uh, there there were a lot less regulations around building codes and environmental stuff so all the houses were contaminated with asbestos and uh, highly contaminated soil from the industry that uh, was there before. Um, uh, Yeah, a lot of dynamics at play, but uh, essentially around five years ago the city decided uh, to... uh, Some of the townhouses were in such bad shape by that point because of uh, uh, yeah, I guess several governments together neglecting to fund affordable housing such that that many affordable housing providers couldn't even afford to repair their apartments and and this one included uh, a number of the apartments couldn't even be lived in so it wasn't even full anyway so they decided to move everyone who was living there out uh, tear down all the townhouses um, and it's right by a go station where we just got all day go service to Toronto so you know millionaires really want to live in this neighborhood now too Um, so there's a big opportunity to sell that land from the city for lots of money So they've decided to do that. They're going to turn the 91 townhouses into something like 500 condos plus uh, uh, some affordable housing apartments. Um, There's been a whole lot of delays. I think everyone was kicked out of that neighborhood more than three years ago now at this point. There's a really sad moment during the pandemic when encampments were um, sort of uh, at their peak prominence, where uh, dozens of tents were literally set up for people to sleep where people were sleeping on the lawn in front of these boarded up townhouses uh, that were still standing there across the street. Um, The townhouses are just started demolition, but it's been a long process. You know, we're in the middle of a housing crisis and people are still sleeping in tents and and this whole large city block of townhouses has, has not been lived in for five years and won't be for many years yet. And so we're... We're waiting for that to be a story, hopefully of redemption, where uh, yeah, people who do need affordable housing can move back to the neighborhood with affordable rents for with with housing that's not contaminated with asbestos and the soil's been cleaned up and uh, yeah, hope yeah so so pray for Jamesville.
0: Yeah, <laughs> making all things new. Hopefully someday. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking a lot about redemption in the last little bit and. how how God invites us to be part of his stories of redemption and participation in that can can look different for different people in different contexts. Like, you know, the friends in the apartment and they started the Jubilee Market and that Mm -hmm. for them is how they get to participate. So there's different forms. Um, But also in my own work of, I get to to interact with lots of churches um, in in canada but also then churches globally um this idea of like how do we as the church participate in in redemption not just like there's the individual and then there's the macro right mm-hmm. um and i was thinking about one of the things that you said before when it comes to affordable housing is some of like the potentially the vision of the way forward is to actually do nonprofit organizations need to build affordable housing and and that maybe we shouldn't just rely on the government, but how how can nonprofits actually start um, leaning into this? So there's got to be ways that like the church can be participating mm-hmm. in this redemption as well, rather than just sticking with their own thing. Um, yeah, I didn't really like have this question there, but what is what is that? What what do what's your vision and dream behind like how how the church can maybe like lean into some of this? Mm-hmm. And that obviously, there's no formula. And so, so it's a lot of paying attention, right? Like there's the one church in Hamilton who was able to have an indoor building above them and they, mm-hmm. they get to to play into that. Um, I don't even probably know how that happened. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like what what would you say to that in terms of how, how do we live into and participate in redemption in our places?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a good question, and, and a lot comes to mind in terms of housing, and you could take that in a lot of other directions too. Um, I think uh, a group I've been really inspired by and sort of their approach to uh, what you're talking about is is the Greater Ontario House of Prayer, like the people who uh, you know, don't know anything about building new affordable housing don't know anything about the wait list and how things are managed, but they they prayer walked around that one building mm. knowing that uh, it could be, there was a vision for it to be new affordable housing and that changed everything. Mm. Um, and it's not the only time even at Indwell where uh, we've been able to build new affordable housing uh, on the site of like old buildings that people in, in the community had been praying for. Um, uh, yeah, there have been other churches uh, who uh, you know, in terms of housing, have oh, sorry. Backing up, what I was going to say was what, what, what that like house of prayer sort of community, the 24/7 prayer movement and community emphasizes prayer, mission, and justice. And what does it look like to make those like commit to those uh, values and approaches to life in a city and in a community, and, and see restoration through a life uh, that that has a focus on prayer and mission and justice together. Um, and, and I think that was sort of where this group of people came from when they were coming to pray for that building that turned into an indwell building. But uh, all sorts of stories of where where people committed to prayer and mission and justice are part of uh, redemption in all sorts of ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of, I think that that's the foundation of it and that can go in all sorts of directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, obviously God's, a, God's quite creative. Um, Yeah, in terms of housing and and poverty and homelessness, we've seen other churches who uh, like merged with another church and so they had a surplus building and they gave that building to Indwell to turn into affordable housing. Um, But we've also seen lots of churches who, you know, in their their own roles recognize, uh, um, you know, an Indwell building is being built down the street and people are going to be able to move in who desperately need a roof over their head, but we know they also desperately need more than that, and 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 we will uh, consider ourselves part of that community and make sure we're visiting all the time and, and hosting meals or bingo nights or Bible studies or and and you know doing the relationship part of it. Um, that is, yeah, it is also about yeah love and relationships and uh, uh, coming around people who have who are often marginalized, people who the world has, uh, yeah. Uh, rejected or 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 said aren't important uh um, and don't matter uh church is coming around people for whom that is their experience and saying no you do matter to us and we do care about you and and love you and you're part of our community is uh um uh yeah i think that's what we're all (laughs) called to Hmm.
0: i love that you mentioned that like god is a creative god um Mm -hmm. and and a lot of conversations that I've been around in the last few months, the the word imagination keeps coming up. It's like, how do we imagine a new way? And that involves a lot of creativity. And there's something so fun about it, but also it's so, it's not like, I guess use the word again, formula, like formulaic. You mm-hmm. can't just, here's the the instructions of how to do it. But, but that's what I also find is like a beautiful invitation of following Jesus is like, you, the the flow of following him is so creative and unexpected and such an adventure like we could never imagine it and then you just watch God do what he does and then somehow invites us measly humans to just mm-hmm. like be part of it in like really profound ways um, just feels really beautiful but it takes it takes a step back to be like okay what if we imagined a different way what if and part of the imagining too is what what is it like to live as someone who doesn't have a home in this neighborhood? Like, what what does that feel like? What mm-hmm. does that look like? And then imagine a new way of, like, how do I then lean into that? Mm-hmm. And each person will be called in different ways. Mm-hmm. And also each church will be called in different ways. But there's something about if God is creative, then he calls us to be creative because we are made in his image. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. something beautiful about that. Um, okay, final, nearing the end, Um question for you. Mm -hmm. So you and Alyssa have chosen to do move in and you've mentioned briefly kind of what move in is, um, kind of as a movement, um, share maybe a little bit more about what that vision is for you and why you've done that. But also you made this, I don't know if it was offhanded or an intentional comment in one of our conversations where you said how, where you live is actually a form of discipleship and, Mm -hmm. um, the the podcast that i was listening to like earlier this morning talks about how like everything is kind of discipling us like how we use yeah. our phones is mm-hmm. discipling us what we watch and listen to is a form of discipling us how we spend our time like all everything that we do is is discipleship in a way so we have to choose what is discipling us and you made a comment about how where you live actually is a form hmm. of discipleship and so i'd love for you to unpack the significance of that for sure. i think it's so important hmm.
1: Yeah, so we live in uh, an apartment building in downtown Hamilton with a pretty low income reputation. And we, uh, the story behind that was, uh, I mentioned earlier, this movement called Move-In and this network of Christians who uh, are, uh, yeah, prayerfully moving in to uh, unreached urban poor neighborhoods. In, in, uh I mean, the history starts with Toronto and Hamilton, so like locally. Um, and so sort of those who went before us, you know, again, uh, talking about the, the story behind how I got to Indwell uh, uh, is at play here too where you know I just felt uh, called to love uh, and and seek justice and uh, for, for people who are in poverty in Hamilton and seeing people who did that incarnationally like by um, uh, was was powerful for me those who sort of went before in a way that was different from what would seem to be the default where the, sort of the default I grew up with was, you know, it's important to love and serve the poor. So uh, there are different places you can go once a week to volunteer and do that. Um, uh, th- these these stories I was encountering were presenting a, a very different way of saying. Well, actually, like John one fourteen says that when God wanted to show His love to us, He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. So if we want to love uh, those who are marginalized in our communities, let's literally rent an apartment in the same building as them and dwell mm-hmm. among them prayerfully and um, uh, so that, that really resonated with us and uh, uh, we uh, during our uh, we as in me and Alyssa during our undergrad at Christian University too sort of started to realize we, uh, we wanted to build both mission and community into our living situation so that we didn't have to go somewhere else to be with uh, the people we prayed with and, and discipled with uh, or go somewhere else to, to serve and, and love people we felt called to love but then all of that was baked into our living situation. So um, move-in was this model where, where, you know, Christians do that together. Um, they, they move into neighborhoods and, and Christians get together every week to pray for their neighbors and for each other. And so there, there are a few other ways that could have looked other than move-in. And and we were led to join a, a move-in team to do that. Um, uh, and, and now, we, yeah, we live in the same sort of apartment complex as, as people we pray with every week for uh, the neighbors we share. And we... Uh, yeah, no, we all we're all on mission in our neighborhood, uh, you know, caring for the same people as each other as we pray for them together. And um, yeah, in terms of how that's like shaped us and discipled us, there's there's a lot to that that we've uh, maybe wasn't part of why we you know decided to live where we live, but that we've come to realize living there that we're really thankful for now that we value a lot in terms of. Uh, yeah, living in a, a context that is uh, uh, relative to a lot of uh, maybe people from the same sort of background as us anyway. Uh, it's, a, it's a simpler life than than if, you know, we know a lot of people who um, yeah, just have more responsibilities in life if they like, you know, own a whole house or something. Uh, renting a small apartment uh, keeps life simple and, and simplicity comes with more space for, uh, yeah, prayer and, and all sorts of other, yeah, time for neighbors, um, time for for people who care about people who are hurting, people who who need a listening ear some days, or uh, help filling out an application form other days, um, and uh, uh, yeah, that that sort of also connects with um, the way my neighbors have helped teach me what need means. That uh, um, so what I mean by that is. Um, Again, uh, you know, how do you apply what you read in Scripture? And, and a lot of what Jesus talks about is, is relates to what we need in life, and, and God will meet our needs, and that's a promise. But but what does that mean? Well, I, that's something I think I learned more in my neighborhood uh, than uh, you know. It, it doesn't all get spelled out in Scripture. Like here's a list of God things things God will provide you with, and and here's what that doesn't mean. But having grown up in a context in you know Canada in in this decade in this century, where you know, as a society, we do have so much more than we need. Uh, it is hard to know what it is we actually need. Uh, uh, espe- you know, when I think about housing, I think about how our context is one where, you know, as, as sort of the, the West broadly, uh, modern Western civilization has the, the smallest household sizes of any civilization ever. Did I say smallest or big? Yeah, smallest. Smallest mm-hmm. household sizes, but also the biggest house sizes. Of any civilization ever so what does it mean to have your housing needs met like we don't even know like our ideas are so messed up by our excess that mm. like we don't even know what it means to have what you need for a living situation anymore but um, I don't know if I you know know for certain but like, you know living in in our our context contact with uh, less than we uh, you know might have defaulted to living with if we just went with the flow you know in the world um, has helped teach us about yeah what what Jesus does mean when he promises to meet our needs mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing uh, um, yeah and sometimes uh, we we um, uh, I, I don't know how yeah I'm sure there's ways it shapes us even beyond just what we know but I think uh, you know knowing that Jesus did like God God did show his love to us by moving in among us and and by living a simple life like without Wealth in this world, um, living in sort of a context that that is materially simple, uh, is is a, uh, an act of discipleship To uh, uh, yeah, sort of relate to the world with a material simplicity that uh, um, probably is not like, but is in some ways, yeah, I don't know, in, in the same direction as, as Jesus approached his mm-hmm. life on earth with material simplicity. So, um, yeah, all of those things, yeah, help us understand what, uh, what Jesus' example means and, and different teachings of Jesus mean. And, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Hmm. Well, as we're nearing the end, is there any final word of encouragement or challenge or that you haven't said but would like to say that you could leave with everybody
1: um yeah i think we've talked a lot about like uh participating in god's mission to redeem the world and and how we can do that when we know our community and our place um and maybe my own story of doing that has been motivated mostly by sort of you know, o- obedience or participation in mission sort of things, but I've, I've found it's also a devotional exercise, too, that, like, when we're engaging with the people who are marginalized in our communities and, uh, you know, sacrificing materially to, to live in community with their uh, neighbors, that it's also a devotional exercise that, that like, draws us closer to God than... Uh, um, yeah, draw, draws us closer to God by, by being alongside him and what he's wanting to do. Um, Part of that for me has meant, uh, you know, getting to know my city means getting to, you know, know the churches in our city and and we live in a cool city with this sort of true city network of church unity and uh, uh, yeah, getting to know different Christians who minister in different ways and having a uh, sort of a a bigger uh, network of the church by leaning into uh, sort of, you know, what what is God doing in the city, and and trying to get to know my city, getting to know different churches who do church in different ways, and Christians who have different gifts and strengths, uh, has given me just a bigger sense of God, and mm. and in that sense has had a devotional impact on my relationship with God because I get to know God better through the the more people uh, in the in the church community that I know. Um, at mm. the most recent sort of big true city gathering, the the pastor who was there shared about how in Revelation near the start, there's those letters to the seven churches. And in each of them, Jesus echoes like part of uh, a vision of who he is in his body. Um, you know, Jesus reveals to one church his, his voice and another uh, different things. And, uh, and And so independently, you realize each of these seven groups gets a picture of Jesus and a, a beautiful picture of Jesus to, to draw them to him. Um, but apart from each other, they they get just that part of that picture of it. Together, um, these churches have a, a bigger picture of Jesus. So I think, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that sounds disconnected, but in my story, um, I, I think the mission, approach to mission in the city has gone hand in hand with sort of church unity and, and um, appreciating all that God is doing in our city through different Christian communities. And... Uh, and in doing so, getting to know these different Christian communities has helped me piece together a bigger picture of Jesus than... Uh, uh, yeah, a, a bigger picture of Jesus than I would have without any of... Uh, yeah, I, I, or for for every, every, every new Christian or church community I get to know, I get a slightly bigger picture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, there's a devotional impact there too.
0: I super resonate with that. So in like my work through Hope Story... Uh, we get to work with like global churches and I often feel as I mm. like interact with them and hear about what they're doing and how they live out their faith, the richer my faith becomes because they're so like in the church example, there's the the churches within our city and the network and we all have a role to play and we all have a, a piece of um, something that God wants to teach us and we need each other, but then also on a global scale, like the global church and different believers around the world, like there are things that we can learn globally as well. and i I have been thinking about that a lot recently mm. with like our work at Hope Story. Like mm. there are things that the global church knows mm-hmm. about God that we do not know in Canada, and we desperately need them to teach us stuff. and and then also the same within our own um, context. There are things that other churches know and other believers know mm-hmm. and other communities know that that we need to lean into to understand the, a bigger view of who God is. Mm-hmm. And I was also resonating with the fact of like, when, when you draw in close to um, particular, like, like I find for me when I, when I am close to brokenness in mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. or marginalization or things that are not comfortable, it's when I feel closest to God. Cause it's, it's, there's something tangible there. And I still can't put my finger on it, but it's like, Scripture clearly must be true when it says, like, go be with the marginalized, go, like, you know, loose the chains of uh, like, the injustice and all, whatever all those verses are. There's so many for of sure. that you could use, right? But, like, clearly God is there. And yeah, there's something and, and he, happens he even
1: spells it out and we just miss it sometimes. Like, um, I was thinking recently, too, about in James, the book of James, it says, uh, you know, has not God chosen those who are poor? In the world to be rich in faith Mm -hmm. and to inherit his kingdom and 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 there James is actually just echoing Jesus in Luke 6 you know in his in the Luke 6 version of the Beatitudes it's like this completely countercultural and I can't wrap my mind around it like Jesus says you know in his kingdom blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of God and and he even says woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort so like Oh, like if I want, if I'm hungry for the kingdom of God, I will go, I will go to be with the poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: There's so much in there. <laughs> so much. Okay. Well, we're going to leave it at that. That feels like a, <laughs> an interesting spot to leave it. But um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for courageously living out a life that is not what society and wants us to live um yeah and just for sharing some of that wisdom today so thanks for being here
1: yeah it's a pleasure to share thank you for having me for the fun conversation
0: yeah and for everyone listening i have no idea if another episode is going (laughs) to come out (laughs) we'll we'll see but it's always a a joy and a privilege for me to share cool people with cool people so that is what this episode is all about so (laughs) in that i hope that um it sparks some imagination and creativity in and, and how we as followers of Jesus engage um, in our cities and in our places and, and in the world. So with that, thanks for tuning in and hope